This week, Brother Brzezinski preaches on the topic, This is a Lamppost. I do feel like the Lord has something tonight. Um, and I do also want to thank Brother Lopez for letting me get up here again. Um, I miss Brother Kilman when he's not here um, because I will probably stretch the scripture, maybe even break it, preach out of context. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding, Brother Lopez. <coughs> um, but we, I, I really do have such a great church, such a great pastor, and we're blessed. And I know I kind of say that every time I get up here, but it's true every time I get up here, and we're blessed to be here with the leadership we have. So I see, Sister Megan, you work with kids. I hear kids in the hallway. How many people here have their own kids? Brother Juan, okay. I like kids, mostly. I used to work in kids' church a little bit, um, and I have some fun stories from kids' church. They will humble your pride quickly, which is always fun. So I, I preached there a few times, and one time I preached something called the spiritual blankie because I was, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was very attached to my blankie as a kid, and um, that's not a joke. That's, I'm being serious right now, okay? I, I was very attached to my blankie. <laughs> Tough crowd here. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I was. And then I, I preached it. And little Mickey Rodenbush, for like the next couple weeks, she'd like come up to me after service and shake her head at me and say, the spiritual blankie. Like just, she was so disgusted at my low level of topic picking but I like kids because they'll say anything. You know that they do. So my little brother Brady, he would for years would say absolutely anything. Like one time when we were getting out of uh, Pizza Hut, we were going to get in our car, and there was people with a rusty car next to us. And he says to the people who are getting in their car, your car looks like it blowed up a million years ago. I'm like, ah, excuse him. He's, he's young. And then there was the other time where he pointed to, now forgive me for this, but rather large man with a la rather large belly. And he points to it and he said, you know, said he was fat. And then the person's wife said, well, you know, it's not polite to tell people they're fat. That's, you shouldn't say that. And Brady's like, but yeah, but what about that? He points at his belly. <laughs> so that's what kids do though, right? They just say whatever they want. And I like kids for that. Um, but I want to do read a scripture about that kind of thing in Mark 10 and 13 through 16. I'm going to read that to you. This is Jesus. And it says, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. So what I want to preach to you tonight <coughs> for a title just for you to hang on to is, this is a lamppost. This is a lamppost. Yes. We're going to be very deep. Very deep. Let me assure you. But, you know, Jesus says this 
we should become as little children. What does he mean? What, what in the world does that mean that we should approach the kingdom of God as little children? I can tell you a few things that it does not mean, okay? It does not mean living in your mom's basement until you're 30 eating her frozen pizzas. That's not what it means to become a little child. I saw a homeless sign, a man with a homeless sign on the internet, and instead of asking for money on his sign, he just said, I want my childhood back. Okay, well, in a certain sense, maybe that's fine, but in another sense, if by getting my childhood back, I mean I want to regress into a state where I don't provide for my family or I just want to avoid responsibility, that's not the sense that we should regress into childhood. But there is a way, clearly, that Jesus says we should become like children. Now, I understand Paul said things like, when I became a man, I put away childish things and be not uh, children in your understanding. So there is a definite sense that we should not be children, you would agree, right? We ought to grow, we ought to move forward, we ought to become adult in our understanding. We have the word of God available to us, we should read it. We should understand it. There's no excuse for us if we have the word of God. You know, people died for this word of God, and we have this word of God here in front of us, and we'd be foolish not to grow in our understanding. That's absolutely true. And yet there is, of course, this sense in which Jesus says, become children. And you've certainly seen manhood gone amok. You know, even what we consider to be successful manhood can be skewed. The man with that weary look in his eye and the briefcase, and he's walking quickly here and there, and everything's about money and about success. That's, is that really what manhood's all about? Is that really life? So the seven-year-old you might sometimes look at, you know, I have this theory. I could be wrong, but I have this theory that as people get older, they become more and more who they really are. So like 85-year-old people are either like, really grumpy or really sweet. There's no in the middle, it seems to me. Just because over time, you crystallize your patterns and your behaviors. So, so yeah, what, what, what does it mean? You know, if I were seven years old looking at myself today, what, what, what would I think about Kevin today? Maybe I'd tell Kevin, hey, man, you know, chill out a little bit. It's okay to smile. It's okay to go play with toys. No, I mean, no, no, but... Ha- have some leisure. It's not all about work, you know. It, so what would the seven-year-old Kevin say? What would your seven-year-old self say to yourself? I mean, if a seven-year-old Kevin saw maybe, I don't know if your dad was a workaholic, but as a kid, what you see right through, it's like you're missing the really important stuff, and you're here, and, and your adulthood just makes you miss certain things. So I do think Jesus was the most... In a certain way, I think Jesus was the most manly man that has ever been. It's a pretty manly man to go up and die on a cross willingly without being, um, you know, forced to go. But I also think at the same time that Jesus was one of the most childlike people that there ever was. Now, I think Jesus was naive, not in the sense of how we sometimes use naive when we call people naive and say, this person is so naive, and, and we mean something like, they have no wisdom. They have no experience. They're just kind of foolish. They're a little simple in a bad way. Almost dumb is the way we sometimes use naive. And I don't think Jesus was that kind of naive. But I think that the naive that Jesus was 
was naive in, in this sense, that he was natural. He was unaffected. He didn't try to fake things. He didn't try to put on any airs about himself. He was innocent. I think Jesus was naive in that sense. And I like this story about Jesus. When he's talking to Nicodemus, I picture Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, of course. I picture him to be something of an adult, something of a grown-up with all this self-importance and kind of that prideful adult thing going on. And he's go coming up to Jesus, and he's throwing out all of these pleasant things and well, Jesus, we know you're a man of God because blah, blah, blah. And Jesus listens, and, and Jesus kind of cuts right past everything, doesn't he? He kind of just says, okay, I see where you're coming from, but here's the heart of the issue. Except a man be born again. A and it's like, except a man kind of regress in a certain way to that kind of infancy. Except a man be born again of water and of spirit. And Nicodemus, this grown-up, must be thinking, what in the world is going on here? Because Jesus is just almost, almost cutting down to the very simplest essence of the issue. He's getting right into what it is, right where we ought to be living. And sometimes our adult brains and our adult ambitions and our adult pride take us to places that don't even make sense. You know, that's what the Pharisees were. If I may put it in these terms, they were adults in the worst sense of the word. They had forgotten, what, what would their seven-year-old selves, what would the Pharisees' seven-year-old selves say to them as they, as they try to stone Jesus, as they conspire against him? What would the seven-year-old versions of themselves think of what they'd become? They'd be disgusted. And that, in a way, is what Jesus is pointing out. He's saying, Nicodemus, <laughs> let's just throw away all your, like, your Pharisee righteousness and all of your high-sounding language and all of your intellect, let's just, unless you become an infant, unless you're born again of water and of spirit, unless you regress to something that's not adult and worldly and rational in nature, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. You're not even going to see it. You're not even going to see it. And with all due respect, <coughs> you know, I don't, I, I won't even go there. Let's move on. But, it's apples and oranges. It's not even in the same ballpark. The plane that Nicodemus was on and the plane that Jesus brought it to, they're not even the same. It's apples and oranges. Vince Lombardi. Who here likes football? I like football. I like the Packers, Green Bay Packers. Yay. No one? Oh. <clears throat> well, Vince Lombardi was a great coach. And who did, what team did Vince Lombardi play for? Anybody? The Packers. No, he played. He coached the Packers, rather. And the Vince Lombardi trophies named after him. Rough crowd. Vince Lombardi was a great coach. And this is what he would do every year when he had champion. Before the Super Bowl, they played championship games. Packers won year after year after year. They were the team, okay? Just trust me on that. True. <coughs> In the 60s. Um, but every year, he would take these world-class players and he would hold up a football, and he would start every spring training and just say, gentlemen, this is a football. These are world-class players. They know what a football is. They know blocking and tackling. They know how to play the game. But he would just hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. And the object of, of the game of football, and he'd walk him out to the field, and he'd, he'd show him 
the boundary on this side, the boundary on that side. He'd show them the end zones, and he would just walk through the, the rules of the game from the ground up and, and just tell them what it was all about. And these are professional players, and yet, for some reason, this world-class coach felt the need to show them this is a football, and this is the basics of the game. So, you know, this just gets me thinking. You know, I come to church, you come to church, and we, we love God, in theory. We really do. But if you will admit, I, I don't know where the disconnect is sometimes. And Pastor used this word, and it was a, an excellent word. It was when everybody was going up to pray, our, our pastor was praying a prayer of blessing, I think it was. And pastor said, well, this isn't just a perfunctory prayer, you know. We're, we're not just going through motions because we think ritual is fun. Uh, and that was the perfect word because sometimes we do come to church and, and, and we are going through this in a kind of perfunctory way, and, and that's a low level of living because either, um, either we deceive ourselves, like in a really weird way, bad, awful way. We deceive ourselves by coming here and we really don't believe it. And I understand we get tired, we get distracted. That's part of it. But I do think it's good to come back to, this is a football. This is what we're doing. So why do we come to church? What are we doing here? Why are we Christians at all? What, what, is, what is this that we're doing? It's not just for me to come up here and try to preach good or something. It's not for you to come here and just altogether hang out with friends and and do all this. There's something deeper that we're doing here. There's something more fundamental that we're doing here. And to me, it, it begins with this. That God is there, and God is alive. He's a living God. I remember the first time I heard, like, somebody say that, and I, you hear it, you hear it, but I remember when I heard somebody say it with revelation, and I, th I thought to myself, God is a living God. So if God is a living God, and this is true, and God is alive, and God's hand is not short that he cannot heal, so there's a God who really is there and he really is alive. And so when we go up to pray, this is not just like a um, weird exercise that we do, but we think about it. We really believe this that there's a living God who made us, who has all power, who can with his hand reach into space and time and touch us. And if we don't believe that, then we are deceived by our own selves, and it's a, it's a strange thing. But we do believe that. That simple, simple reality that God is there, that God does love us, that he has a hand that can reach in and affect this space-time matter that we find ourselves in. So, you know, sometimes I think that as, as adults, we just, we overlook things like that. We overlook that, that simple truth. And when I was a kid, I was probably goofing off in the bathroom. Um, my, my grandma was watching me, and I was being a, a kind of a brat. And she started telling me, well, Kevin, you know, God, God sees everything that goes on, and God knows exactly what you're doing. And... Um, you know, God's God's everywhere, and God's even here with us right now. And I said, "Well, well, let's get out of here then, because 
I was instantly aware that she was, if she was telling the truth, that God's kind of scary, and God is real, and, and kids, they just believe what you tell them, and, and I'm, I am not saying, where I'm not going with any of this, though, is, is, is this kind of spiritism, where, where I'm, I'm trying to advocate that we should just kind of believe any old thing. We shouldn't believe any old thing. We believe in, in context of the Bible, in context of truth. We don't believe any old thing. Okay, so, so you, you have to be careful how you glorify gullibility or naivety in general because we believe in context of something that has been proven, in context of something real. So we do need to make that distinction. But God is not a theory. God is very real. And it is tough to bridge that gap sometimes. It is tough to bridge the gap between theory and walking it in reality. But, you know, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but ever since 9-11, it, it's been almost like the worst thing in the world to be is a fundamentalist. Ooh. Like fundamentalist, Islam is bad, and how, how people have kind of spun it is, even if you're a fundamentalist Christian, you're just as bad because you believe the Bible over everything else. So it's bad wrong. And I, in, in my, one of my freshman, sophomore college classes, wrote a paper, and I knew that's what they wanted to hear, so that's exactly what I gave them. It's a terribly written paper, but because I agreed with their ideology, got a good grade. But that's, that's what I wrote about. I wrote about, you know, we shouldn't be so just fundamental about religion in a way that it would endanger other people's lives or in inflict harm on other people's lives. That's wrong, whether it's Jerry Falwell or whether it's Osama bin Laden. Fundamentalism is wrong. And that's what I said. And um, I think my mind has changed a little bit because I, I do believe in the fundamental truth of the Bible. And I not only believe in the fundamental truth of the Bible, I believe in the most fundamental truth of the Bible. You know, a lot of people approach this Bible as something that is mostly true and, and there's some wiggle room to interpret and there's some wiggle room to kind of bend it and really kind of do what we want with it. And you know what they call people like me and you who just like open it up and say, oh, look at that in the book of Acts. Neither is there salvation in any other. Oh, that's Jesus. Oh, look at that right there. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, let's try that name. That, that's primitive because we're, we're fundamental. We, we, just, we just see it and we believe it. So we are the, the primitive Christians. We're, we're, we're simple, guys. Did you know that? We're, we're a little bit naive. We, we haven't picked up on the great revelations of John Calvin, <laughs> Brother Kilman, right? We, we haven't picked up on his great revelation that we're uh, predestined. I do believe that there's something kind of like total depravity. We, we need Jesus or we will be lost. But what does God say? Whosoever will. So, okay, so he's drawing all of us. Excellent. And, and, and I'm just, you know, I try to comprehend the Trinity once in a while. I try to sit down and just really think about it. I can't comprehend the Trinity. Brother Lopez, I'm a little simple for that. My mind can't quite grasp all these contradictions and breaking language and 
Call me simple, Brother Kilman. I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. So, are you guys okay with that? To be primitive? To be naive? To just take the Bible as it is and say, well, looky there. On the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues when they received that power. Maybe that's for today. Or are we so influenced by people like Constantine who by force have made an institution out of what was written in this Bible? And, and that is enlightened thinking. All this compromises enlightened thinking. And this man was half pagan. I mean, he was just a compromiser and an amalgamator of things that are not biblical. You know, Brother Vite back here, he likes to read, not to pick on you, Brother Vite, but you like to read things like Cicero and all these Greek smart people, but you'll be the first to admit none of those bring you closer to God altogether. We're not, we're not looking for some kind of enlightened Christianity because it's just right here. It's, it's pretty simple. And it's pretty naive, and some people would, would look down on us for being a little simple and a little naive, but I think that's exactly what we need. I think that's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said things like, except a man be born again. It's, it's all, of course, it's going through that spirit and water baptism, but that whole repentance thing is dying to your adult kind of nature and becoming childlike. So I, I just I just I'm a little too simple to believe that to believe any old thing that comes down the pipe. I'm a little too naive to believe in the Trinity. I'm a little too naive to believe in things like John Kelvin's system. I just believe that if the Bible says it, well well that's true. Jesus name baptism, okay, that's true. There it is. Speaking in tongues is a sign of being filled with the Holy Ghost. There it is. It doesn't take any great intellect to just believe the word. And I, I, I heard a quote today that was very good. It said that as soon as a, a movement, as soon as a Christian movement begins to um, kind of fall away, their academic standards increase. And, and he's not, not in a bad way, but in the sense that once you start kind of bringing in Plato and Aristotle to try to puff up your your highbrow education, you're slipping. Because that's not what we're, we're based in. We are simply based in the Bible. We, we believe this. I, I'm just simple enough to believe it. Brother Lopez, the other day when you were preaching out of Jonah, and, and you, you did a good job, and you went for a while into some of the, you know, could Jonah really, like from a scientific-ish standpoint, could he be swallowed by a whale? And what's the logistics of this? And, and you kind of went through some of the different accounts, and that was good. But did you catch what Brother Lopez said after that? He said, if the Bible would have told me that Jonah was swallowed by a shrimp, I would have believed it. Who thought that was pretty bold? I'm sitting, back <laughs> I'm sitting back there, and I thought, that's pretty bold. But such is the kingdom, Brother Juan. Brother Juan just believes the Bible. If, if, if it's, and that's what I love about this guy. He believes the Bible, period. And you, sometimes if you're like me, I get stuck in this overanalyzation where I'm thinking and I use my rationality to just rehash and rehash and rehash 
and, I, and I've got so many voices from the world and from, um, you know, like education, secular education, and all these voices that if you listen to them are trying to get you to question and analyze and, and think from this point of view that says the supernatural is impossible. That's their assumption. And then they move from there and try to teach all these things. And they're incompatible, these two worldviews, but at the end of the day, the Bible, I'm naive enough to believe it. My great-grandma, wonderful lady, I miss her. She was a wonderful lady. She uh, was born in the Ukraine. She moved over to, she had this Ukrainian accent, which was so sweet. Um, but she was just a sweet lady. She made dill pickles, and God bless her. But she believed this message. She had a sixth-grade education. So she wasn't all that smart. She wasn't all that educated. But she knew how to pray. And I recorded her one time, just all the testimonies through her life. And you'd be amazed at how many things where she just got on her knees and prayed and the Lord moved. And every time she would give this story and she would say, I prayed, but Jesus did the healing. Yeah, she actually said Jesus done the healing because her English wasn't so great. But my point is, she wasn't all that educated. She just looked at this word and said, huh, there it is. I'll tell you this story. My grandma had a had a her son and they had a house burned down and they got all the kids out but one of the youngest kids was stuck in the house and was very scared by the fire they finally did get him out but he'd cry every night every night every night and her mom said okay well let me pray for him just laid hands on him prayed in Jesus name stop crying and my grandma said from that point on I knew there was a higher power and just throughout her life they just simple things some things that you wouldn't even think God was really all that into. Let me tell you one more story about this. There, do you guys know Amish people, Mennonites, Amish, horse and buggy? So my grandma had a farm, and they were selling a big chute off the side of a silo. And these Mennonites, I think they were, came with their trailer on their horse and buggy, and they were trying to figure out how do we get this big chute off the side of this silo. And my grandma, all she said was, well, the Lord's mindful of your problem. And she says that that chute just, as soon as she got done saying it, just tipped off that silo and fell in the grass in one piece like somebody laid it there. And she said, there, now you guys load it in one piece. <laughs> but what's my, my, my point here? It, w w w how do we move forward in the kingdom? Is it through studying Plato and Aristotle? Is it through our intellect? Is it through our skepticism and our rationalism? and kind of mixing some Socrates with our Jesus? Oh, no, no, no. Because somewhere there's just going to be a plain, sixth-grade, educated lady who's just going to say, I believe this Bible. I'm just going to pray till God does something. Because he's a real God, and he's a God who's there, and he's a God whose hand is not short, and he can reach into our lives. And I'm sick of just, you know, I'm not against education, I'm not against thinking, but you know what, at the end of the day, this is the word of God, and it's always been true in my life, and it's going to be true tomorrow, and you guys can look at me and say, well, that's pretty simple, and that's pretty stupid for you just to say that, but even if a shrimp swallowed Jonah, and this Bible said it, I just believe it, because that's the God I serve. So... I want to close with this. 
One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. One of my favorite books that he's written is The Lion and the Witch, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I read it years ago, and ever since I read it, I was probably 18-ish, um, and just the, the lamppost stuck out to me. When, if you guys don't know it, it's the kids, they go through this wardrobe with the clothes in it. They come out the other side, and they're stepping in snow. They come out of a clearing in the trees, and there in this new world is this lamppost shining. And ever since I read it, I could not get this lamppost out of my thinking because the moment that they walked through that that clearing and they saw that in this new world there was intelligence, there was an otherness about this world. There was something there in this other world that was illuminating and intelligent. I just have not been able to get it out of my mind. And, and I think sometimes about those kids who spent time in Narnia and what if they were to then leave Narnia and go back into the real world and they would tell the grown-ups about this experience that they had and, and tell them about Narnia and all these things and what reactions they might get. And of course you would have people who would react like We'll just call them the naturalists, the people who say there's nothing but this natural world and that's their worldview. And they might say, that's ridiculous. That's impossible. That's just impossible. We know that this temporal world is all that we can know. It's all that there is. So it's impossible. Another reaction that they might get is the, well, that's nice, sweetie. We all have Narnia inside. <laughs> Like like the grandma approach, like, yeah, of course, we all we all have mythical Narnia to dream in. That's sweet. But these kids would know that I stepped on the snow and I walked out and I felt the cold chill and I saw the lamppost for myself. And these kids would have an experience in the reality of that world. I want to tell you one more story. And I'll be done. There was a boy named Kevin. You might know him. He was a young boy, grew up in Wisconsin. Curious, asked a lot of questions, had a lot of questions in his mind, made some poor choices, eventually found his way to a place where he came back in contact with the Word of God, which said, Except a man be born again of water and of spirit. And he saw another place where the Bible said in Jesus' words that those that follow me, they will cast out devils, they will speak with new tongues. I saw in the book of Acts where it talked about the Holy Ghost falling. And I just believed it. I just believed it. And I remember the night I got the Holy Ghost. I was at my aunt and uncle's house. And I was by myself up in their sunroom, praying. Because I just believed, I, I believed I was going to get the Holy Ghost that day. And I was up there praying, and I remember exactly what I said right before I got the Holy Ghost. I lifted up my hands, and I just said, I felt God's presence, and I just responded to it. I said, Lord, your presence is so sweet. And then I heard a language as if, 
as if it was coming from somewhere else, from another world. And I finally caught myself and realized that language from another world is coming through my mouth in this world. And that experience for me has been a lamppost every day. Every day of my life forward, that has been an experience that I can go back to. And, you know, people can tell me, well, Kevin, that's, that's foolish. It's impossible because we know that only rationality is what. No. I know what I experienced for myself. And if you have not been baptized in water and in spirit, I don't doubt that you can't see it. I don't doubt that you can't enter it. But to the people here who have seen it and who have experienced it and have the story just like me, let's not let those voices get in our head. Let's not let the devil tell us that those realities were not realities. You can have your skepticism and you can go home and sleep with that. You can have your pride and, and your intellect and your rationalism, but I know that I know that one day I went through. I know that I know. Is that naive? Yes. Is it simple? Yes. Is it primitive? Yes. But it's reality. That's the reality. So, this is preaching, so I have to give you like an action to follow up on. And, and this action is this. Let's not build our houses and our camps on intellect and skepticism and rationalism because all those things are ultimately misery. And if we will have the faith of a child, I believe that the faith of a child is what allows us to move forward in the kingdom. It's not our smarts. It's not our intellect. It's just faith, faith in the reality of God and the reality of his word and the reality of his spirit. And that is reality. You know it's reality because you've experienced it. So all I want to challenge you to do is if there's areas in your life where you're letting voices influence you that says, well, clearly evolution is true because, and then they list a whole host of shoddy evidence, and it's all based on the assumption a faith assumption that the supernatural is not possible. And you listen to all these voices, and they're pervasive. They're consistent and pervasive, and they can wear us down. But I'm not ashamed to seem ignorant, to seem naive, to seem primitive, even in the Christian community. I'm not ashamed, because I know what I've experienced. And I know that there's power in the Holy Ghost. And you know there's power in the Holy Ghost. Brother Juan, come help me close this.